people really don't feel the love that that, that people write about. And the yeah. generalization thing can change. Yeah, it, it, that's the kind of event like that that would bring people together and unite and uh, connect to kill each other. It's amazing to me. When you get to know people on a personal basis, yeah. it's it's incredible how it breaks down walls and unless they're assholes and then yeah, 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 <laughs> they're always gonna be that way, right? <laughs> and then you're like, Oh, this person's an asshole. <laughs> Doesn't matter where they are. Yeah. All right, getting up to wrap something. Okay. And then we'll be good for questions yet. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, how yeah. long are you running for, do you think? Or uh, an hour roughly. Okay. Um, and it uh, you know, some of it is a little bit like uh, Ed Bernstein, right? Where it depends on how it goes, but the yeah. the final cut's going to be right around an hour. Sure. So, I got to tell you, there are so many different things, qu like questions that I have because I'm interested, mm -hmm. uh, that it could be long, like okay. it could be a long conversation. But sure. we'll keep it. I know you're busy with everything. Well, it's so, uh, a meeting with the coalition today. We'll get you out of here by then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe, uh, yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens. Where are you going? Uh, they're we're in, the, in the hospital. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they come by. And, um, you know, there's such a big um, pool, you know, in the, in the community that they get some of the self-insured plans. So um, it's a health plan that's more than all the patient plans. And, and they're big supporters of this, too. So you know, they're always, it's always trying to strategize. What do we need that we can build? You know, uh, I think, I'm not sure which, it may have been Ed Bernstein, it may have been another one where you mentioned that you had uh, gotten a, one of the chefs from the Wynn, maybe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, that's, uh, yeah at our, <coughs> you know, uh, <coughs> two things in healthcare that patients, you know, they may not need a medication or procedure they're having or this and that that's always uh, been in the business a long time. People know, patients know clean and good food. Yeah. So if we can get those right, then, you know, um, so we, you know, years ago we stole a, a chef from the win. Uh, That's pretty amazing. And, and our food, and, and I have not had a complaint about our food uh, since I've worked there. Um, in fact, they did a, a luncheon the other day for the National Executive Committee, and they, this is better than anything on the strip. So no, because there's some dining that's a lot different. I've been there. I, I've been so there once, yeah. and I've eaten at the, the regular one multiple times and yeah, I no complaint. Wow. Wow. Uh Nick, do you want sound checks or anything? Or no, we you good? guys are good to go. Okay. Okay. Is this microphone? Is this is perfect. I can see you great. Yeah. yeah. Uh mine I uh I tilt mine so that it's yeah. pointed at me okay. a little bit more. Okay. <coughs> Did you give us a virtual uh, thumbs up that yeah. I can't see? <laughs> so, uh, Mason Van Halen, thank you so much for being on the program with us. I'm, I'm excited today. You know, we've known each other for years, um, but there have been so many things that have happened over the last few years in particular that I want to talk about. Uh, so we're going to talk about healthcare in the state of Nevada. We're going to talk about UMC, UMC's partners. Uh, some of the things that you have done and are doing, but I want to start with you, and if you don't mind, uh, just a few things. Where did you grow up, first of all? Sure. Well, thank you, Mark, and it's good to be here with you today. And uh, thank you connecting on this level as well, and, and talking to all your listeners and viewers. Um, so, uh, 
I, I kind of grew up everywhere. I was born in Virginia Beach. My father was a naval officer, and um, my life was moving every two years to a new, new state, new city, uh, depending on where my father was getting assigned in, in, as a naval officer. So I've uh, lived in California, Maryland, Florida, Philippines, um, and throughout the country. And uh, really, uh, uh, when I graduated from high school, Started in Pensacola, Florida. So oh yeah, and uh, went there um, to community college. Um, obviously, I've got other degrees, but that's my proudest accomplishment. My proudest degree is as being a community college graduate because it opened up so many doors and avenues for me as um, kind of a late bloomer, if you will, on the academic side of things, and allowed me to um, get into a university and, and kind of go from there. But, um, but yeah, moved around a lot as a kid and. Extremely tough. Um, it's it's never easy being being a military brat, um, but it's cert- taught me a certain skill set later on in life to be able to put yourself out there, meet friends quickly because you knew you had two years uh, and you're picking up and moving. So it, I think that helped me out uh, on the social side of things. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could go one way or the other socially, right? With that, uh, it's interesting because there, you know, I'm putting together this mental map already of all these skill sets that you pick up along the way, right? It's almost like in a video game, how you pick up this uh, this tool, that that tool and so forth that you've picked up. We're gonna talk about a lot of this along the way because it's, it's pretty remarkable how your life has prepared you to do this, right? Without knowing that maybe along the way. Uh, my mom, by the way, was in Norfolk, Virginia, uh, also with the Navy. And, uh, and I also was a late bloomer, so we have those things in yeah, common, yeah, yeah. academically, <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, well, you're at least <laughs> in similar company. We turned out okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, okay, so you, uh, you also uh, followed in your dad's footsteps in that you went into the military. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, you know, we have a long line of uh, military members in my family um, going back to World War One. Grandfather in World War II on my mother's side, and he was Army and um, served uh, in Asia and other places. Um, I've got uncles that uh, served in Vietnam, my father in the Navy. Um, and I spent, uh, just recently retired of 25 years of um, Air Force service in the Reserves. Um, was activated for a lot of big things in Afghanistan and uh, served time in Korea and, and other parts of the world and country. And then currently have a daughter. Um, carrying on the tradition at the Air Force Academy and as a sophomore um, on the tennis player program uh, all around. Yeah, an elite level tennis player. Yeah, she did she did she get offers at uh, other universities as well? Yeah, she was um, not only a, a local player but a national player here um, uh, with the uh, USTA and we did a lot of uh, traveling uh, in our life uh, throughout the country and uh, played, she played in a lot of tournaments and uh, was heavily recruited and. Um, really bonded with the tennis coach at the Air Force Academy. And um, she early on said, you know, hey, I, this is not for me, and uh, was recruited by the Naval Academy, actually, and um, kind of didn't want to go out there and look at the school. And, um, and then she connected with the Air Force Academy coach, and it, it really changed her life. And I'm forever uh, grateful to Coach Gidley for giving her that opportunity. Um, and, and talking to her, it, she is a changed person, uh, completely mature, self-sufficient now, and. Yeah, I mean, I think you know the the seeds were planted, and uh, and then they they grew. Uh, she's been there a couple of years now, right? Right. She's yeah. In her second year and doing extremely well academically, and uh, tennis career continues to 
improve every every day. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough gig between. I mean, Naval Academy, uh, or sorry, the Air Force Academy by itself, and then you add sports, competitive sports on top of that. That's talk about life skills. Wow. So, did you play sports as well? So I, I did a lot of uh, athletics um, when I was younger. I, I uh, pretty much played a lot of sports, but football was my uh, organized sport. Although I like to play basketball uh, uh, informally off the court uh, with my friends after school and on weekends, but. But never was a tennis player. People ask me, uh, well, you're, and I've got another daughter, her name's Summer, who's a, uh, a national player as well, and um, a senior at Pace Eastern, and uh, she's being recruited to, uh, for tennis as well. But everybody thinks that I was a tennis player, but I'm the furthest from that. But I can tell you everything, you know, that goes right with the serve, wrong with the forehand. And, um, but uh, I played football uh, mainly as my, uh, my sport younger. And you played in Florida, played all over when you were uh, moving? No, I would yeah. play uh, wherever we were living yeah. at the time. And so uh, would have liked to have done more with that, but um, it was a little, little challenging. But uh, I, I, raising two student athletes um, and knowing what they go through, um, it's, it's, the job is so much tougher. You know, it's, it's academics was always first, mm -hmm. uh, and the athletics was just kind of a thing that kind of rounded out our daughters and, and helped with keeping them busy and, and they enjoyed it. And, but uh, total respect for student athletes uh, throughout the country that yeah. do that at every level, whether it's high school, college. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, what position, by the way, or positions? Yeah, I was pretty good receiver. So yeah. I had good hands and, um, you know, uh, so I was typically uh, catching the ball. And you had some wheels on you too then. Yeah, I yeah. was uh, a little faster yeah. in my <laughs> younger days. But yeah. We all are. We all were. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we were. Well, that's cool. So um, your wife doesn't play tennis either. How did they get into it? No, um, it was just kind of uh, one day uh, my wife and I uh, decided to, um, we were in North Carolina at the time, and um, just moved in. We had plenty of sports in the neighborhood. And so let's go out and hit. And the younger daughter was um, able to walk and um, – but still kind of terrible twos and moving around. Mm -hmm. And um, I grabbed a racquetball racket and, and um, said, okay, this will keep her busy in the corner while mom and I uh, you know, uh, hit the tennis ball, uh, at least try to. And uh, put her in the corner, gave her a ball and a racket, and then quickly realized her hand-eye coordination was very good. So, um, so we kind of noticed that, and um, she really started out playing golf. Um, and she was a very good golfer. But the pace was not fast enough. Yeah. So she liked the, the fast pace. So um, she was a very good golfer um, and decided to focus on tennis. So that, that paid off for her. So, uh, but it was really noticing her hand-eye coordination and being able to pick up and hit a ball immediately with a racket. So um, we just kind of nurtured that and said, let's and, – and we've always felt with our kids, and if I can give any advice to new parents and where, what to do and, and get their kids involved, it's sports that they can do for a lifetime. Mm -hmm. so swimming – golf, tennis, those are things that um, I think will carry you throughout, um, whether it's socially or even in my world, um, being able to network and do business in certain um, venues will, will, will serve them well later on down the line. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think, I think sports, some type of extracurricular activity is so, so important because for a variety of reasons, but one of them is the things that you learn from it. Okay, so, uh, sorry I sidetracked, but no, I'm interested I, I, in the family. Well, good. We get to talk about them some more. Um, so the, you uh, you also were in the Air Force, yes. right? Uh, 26 years now, is that right? Um, I did uh, 25 years. Okay. Uh, 25 years, and um, 
came in uh, after I graduated from college and really wanted to give back and, and the, the life that was afforded to me being um, associated with the military and my family, I wanted to give back and, and continue to do um, what, what demonstrated our family. And quite frankly, um, and you may remember this because I think we're about to fit in the age time frame, is uh, um, not only had that my father influence in living on military bases, but the first Top Gun team. Yeah. So um, as you remember, that influenced a lot of people. To, uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I want to be yeah. know, Tom Cruise. And, um, and so uh, that really pushed me over. I started researching hard. How, how can I be, be a, a, a military officer? And that was always a goal long ago. Um, and uh, was very happy to be able to achieve that. And um, was supposed to go in the Air Force, but um, ma made a very good decision. And there's so many lessons in life that I've learned from being a leader and growing up in the military and the responsibility that the, uh, and the opportunities the military gave me. Yeah, I want to I want to talk about that in some detail. I want to go back because uh, uh, there's there's a point in your life that I want to uh, be clear about. You went to community college. I, by the way, I, I hear what you're saying about that level of accomplishment. Um, the distance between what you think you can do and what you actually did, I think, is uh, is it's really amazing. Uh, and I think it's very cool that you recognize that, and I'm sure share that with other people as well. Um, and then. Uh, where did you go into, when did you go into the military as well? Sure, you know, um, again, uh, you know, I got a lot of degrees and certifications and boards and that type of thing, but uh, being a community college graduate allowed me some time to, you know, really find myself and then what did I really like to do because um, I, I had a lot of different avenues that I thought I wanted to go into and um, it allowed me to prepare myself for the next step and, and find the right school that had the degrees that I wanted to, mm -hmm. to, to ultimately enter in the healthcare, healthcare administration. So um, from there, um, uh, went to University of Central Florida. And at the time, uh, most hospital administrators were business degree graduates. And, and University of Central Florida, much like UNLV, has wonderful programs in healthcare administration today. And I was kind of the first class coming into that healthcare administration program, and really my grades took off from there. I, you know, I really worked and really enjoyed what I was doing and, and learning. And um, so I graduated from the University of Central Florida. Same time, um, um, got my foot into healthcare, um, working at Orlando Regional Healthcare as a patient registration. I was a clerk. Um, it was my first job in healthcare. So registering patients as they came in, testing their demographics, financials, finding out why they're there, and building charts and getting consents and those type of things, and working side by side with doctors and nurses, which really allowed me to see the team come together, and that was probably the best learning experience in healthcare that I've, I've ever had, is working in the, in the emergency room, let alone trauma center at Orlando Regional Medical Center, and then really wanted to join the military as well, so going to school, working, and then um, uh, doing my paperwork to soon as I graduated um, to uh, become a military officer in the Air Force. And then um, kind of just kept on going. Um, it was always the debate, do you, do you wait to get your master's degree or do you just keep going? Um, you know, I had my own thoughts on that, but uh, I've made the decision to keep going. So I was working full time, joined the Air Force Reserves, getting all my military training, going to school, uh, become an officer. And then uh, the Air Force, um, picked me up as a hospital administrator. So it all kind of came together oh, wow. that they trained me as a hospital administrator. So 
know, all the, the even Nellis Air Force Base has still got the same qualifications as the commander out there and they've been very well and, and went to class with when I was much younger. We were all in uh, officers training school and healthcare administration school long ago, but that kind of all came together as far as my preparation to, to lead UNC so we're going to jump into that piece in a second, but there's a, there's a couple of really important things along the way. You were, uh, after 9-11, you were in Afghanistan. Um, as a transition into your healthcare career, uh, your current healthcare career, can you talk a little bit about what that experience was like for you? And, and then, you know, that's one of the many uh, influences you've had in how you lead people now. It was, and um, you know, as you're, you're talking about that and, and, and talking about you know, September 11th, and we all remember where we were. Um, and I remember uh, standing exactly where I was watching the television, but um, I don't think everybody was was um, knowing that the world was going to change. But I knew for me personally that um, knowing that I was an Air Force reservist and um, a, a medic, an Air Force medic, and a hospital administrator, that my life was going to change very quickly. So within 48 hours. Um, well, obviously, we, that kind of had to settle, but um, once we decided to go into Afghanistan, I knew my life was going to change. So I had 48 hours to basically pack up my house, um, prepare to, um, living in Florida at the time, go to McGill Air Force Base, which is head of Central Command that really heads up uh, the, the operations in that region. So, um, you know, knew my life was going to change and uh, didn't know where they were going to send me. Supposed to go to Pakistan initially, then got rerouted to um, the front lines in Bagram, Afghanistan. So, um, yeah, definitely a life lesson there. Um, I, I got there, and you know, where am I? You know, how did I get here? And um, very austere conditions, first in. Um, you know, I didn't have all the comforts that we do have there in Bagram. Well, not there now today, but um, later on I did. But um, so that was a, a, a huge transition in my life, and. Um, really tested my, um, not only physical um, uh, fitness, but more importantly, my mental fitness. And that, that was the biggest thing that I took away from being in Afghanistan is, um, you know, you think you're ready. Uh, and I saw a lot of a lot of kids around me, young kids, 19, 20-year-old kids. I was a little older, uh, so probably a little bit more mature, but just uh, mentally, um, uh, just it was, it was a tough time. You know, you're seeing things that um, um, you, you shouldn't be seeing, a lot of death, a lot of so that uh, really was a, a key point in my life, too, on leading people and getting them through uh, the conditions, the time, you know, knowing that we were all going to go home. So that was important to me. What were some of your, what were some of your uh, biggest lessons? And, and thank you, by the way, for your service as well. Thanks, Matt. And I, I would do it all over again. I, yeah. I tell people all the time. And I, I appreciate uh, everybody that supports veterans out there and you know, um, all the businesses that recognize that. You know, I think, um, again, I, I, I was with uh, a very unique group, um, you know, with, uh, even though it's Air Force, uh, my position, we were always for deployed. And a lot of people don't realize that in the medical community, in the military, that um, it's mostly uh, reservists that are deployed because we keep our skills sharp in civilian hospitals. Every day we're, we're doing this. Uh, it's mostly healthy 19 to 24-year-olds that stay through, so you're not seeing the, the trauma, you know, the burns, the penetrating trauma things that you would see um, as a, an effect of uh, conflict. And, um, but I realized, you know, to get through this, for me personally, I was going to have to be mentally tough. You know, um, 
there's no weekends, there's no downtime, there's no uh, five o'clock, um, you know, there's 20 hour days, um, seven days a week to get your estimates done and to get back into doing the job and, and taking care of each other as a business person. You know, we hear about taking care of your wingman and your, um, you know, leaving your wing behind, that, that really is uh, what it's all about. Yeah, it's, a, you know, I just think, of, I can't really truly imagine, you know, I wasn't there, um, but just hearing you, like hearing the emotion in your voice around this still, right, it's been many years, um, what a significant impact that had on you. And then it, it seems like you've brought a lot of that to uh, UMC, to not just UMC in your professional career, but now at UMC. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, I've, I've always tried to, um, you know, I, I, throughout my career, I, I, we, we tend to emulate <coughs> leaders and people want us to be like this person or this successful. And, um, and, then, and then I realized that, you know, I've got to be myself. Mm -hmm. um, I realized that uh, my style of leadership may be different, um, but it's about connecting with people, um, uh, being who I am internally, who, how I was raised by my family what the military taught me, so taking care of each other. Um, and so, yeah, I think uh, that whole career of mine, um, as I've moved up the ranks and moved up with responsibility and, and how you take care of airmen and soldiers, um, it, it translates into the, into the civilian world very easily. And that's, I think that's why you get so many um, military leaders that do, do well in civilian sectors. And, and regardless of the industry, I think leading people comes down to a lot of um, basic things. And so, um, you know, my ability to connect with, regardless if it's you know, somebody that's on the front lines or somebody strategic, um, just trying to get to know them. And I know you and I have talked about getting to know somebody on a personal level mm -hmm. makes all the difference. And so understanding what motivates them and how you can support each other, and that's what UMC is all about. Yeah, and then, you know, you've really been tested here uh, we we have as a community, but you you and UMC specifically with the October first shootings, uh, with COVID. Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, that's you know, you've had the certain preparation, but some people around you haven't, and so. Um, but that's you talked about a traumatic situation. I don't think there's ever been one like that, right? Yeah, you know, I, I've had some opportunities to uh, really lead situations and crisis and um, work through solve problems. Um, you know, you go back to Afghanistan and things I learned there, but throughout my entire career. And then there was, um, it, it was a, a, and I tell it often, but um, I was on a military exercise for seven, seven days in, in you know, tents and you know, MREs and just uh, in not a very luxurious uh, conditions. And we were doing a big air evac, medical air evac, moving patients that were injured and out of the theater. And um, about the second day, um, a, a colonel, Colonel Sage is, is his name, and um, and I was a young lieutenant, and he walked up and very didn't say a word to me and, and handed me a note uh, during this military exercise. Now, thank goodness it was a military exercise, so there was about training uh -huh. and learning. But he, um, I opened up the note and said, I have just been shot. You're in charge. And I looked at him. I'll never forget this, and I said, sir, no, I'm not ready. He said, you're ready. And then, you know, he evaluated me the whole time, but never let me fall. But that was, uh, I, I kind of took a deep breath, processed it, and said, okay, I can do this. I'm going to do it. And led hundreds of people 
do this exercise for you know, 24 seven operations for seven days a week. So that those little things that the military has taught me all the way through, but you're exactly right. Um, coming into EMT, th these things continue to um, hit us, whether it is October 1, uh, the pandemic, um, we had a cyber attack that uh, a couple of months, that was, I've been through a lot. That by far was the most stressful thing I've ever been through, going through a cyber attack on your organization uh, and working through all of that. Um, I, I speak about that frequently on how to lead and make right decisions. And, and, um, and so that, that was a huge learning experience for me. And then there's been a lot of little things that happened in our community that the community doesn't know about. You know, reflecting, you know, there was a time when we got a phone call that unfortunately a nursing home on kind of the south side of town was patients were being evicted, um, much like somebody was being evicted out of their home. And they called and said, we've got um, 80 patients that we don't know what to do and they have to leave tomorrow. If you can imagine your mother, your father, somebody mm -hmm. that was frail and elderly, um, but that's the EMT way. We, we rallied and said, we're gonna find homes for every single one of those. And the team picked up and we took over control of that nursing home that day and, and the next two days and found homes and places for all these patients. Otherwise they were gonna have to um, show up at every emergency room in the community and, and then kind of restart that process, which is, that's not the right thing to do in our community. So there's been various things that um, I'm very proud that our team at EMT has responded. And again, Marcus, I, I, my philosophy is I hire, hire the best people I can, give them the tools they need, and I get out of the way. So it's really, um, I, I've got an amazing team at EMT and I see that shoulder to shoulder and um, it's, it's much like the military at EMT. Or, it's, it's the camaraderie, it's the morale, it's really good there, and um, the attention's great, so um, I'm really proud of our, all of our team members. Yeah, I wanted to tell you a story. Uh, I mentioned this to you briefly before, but early on when I was here, um, I was coming over, actually I had a meeting with you, and uh, on one end of the hospital, I was, I was trying to find you know, where your office was. I was completely unfamiliar with the hospital, and as I was walking across the parking lot, uh, somebody with a UMC badge was walking, and I asked where your, uh, where your office was. And the person said, oh, let me show you. And we walked for probably 10 minutes. Like she walked me all the way to your office and, and showed me, and I was just like, this, it, it was like I was in the Ritz, right? That kind of service. Um, but it was remarkable, and I've seen that from many of your, your team members. So I, I, not only do I hear what you're saying, I've seen it before, which is remarkable. The Thanks for that. I, 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 first of all, it's, it's a city in itself. If you ever walk into EMT, it's, uh, it's, it, we have a city in that facility, but that's, that's uh, you know, our philosophy, our, our values, and, and how I feel comfortable going up taking it. Yeah, well, let's talk about that, because you know, UMC is a hospital, has a few uniquenesses to it. It's a county hospital, right? And so if you can talk about what that means, but 4,000 people or so that are working yeah. there? Yeah, we've, uh, we're up to 4,500 now. Yeah, wow. We've been uh, growing quite a bit, um, both on the main campus at UMC, but also our ambulatory division, uh, which includes our primary care offices, um, our quick cares, um, which is well known, which is our urgent care, and then um, we're in, in telemedicine now, Oh, wow. We've surpassed 10,000 patients um, recently on transportation online, which is um, something I didn't think that we were we were going to get into, but COVID certainly accelerated that mm -hmm. for us. Um, 
And so uh, that's a new line of business. And then we've also grown our specialty care division, which is kind of your specialist physician, surgeons, um, neonatologists, anesthesia. We're onboarding, we're now taking in uh, radiology. We're uh, measuring with Cardia, so we're taking in UMC radiology. So there's been some moves that um, either have been planned or have presented opportunities for us to, to move in that direction to grow. Um, you know, when I joined UMC, we had about 40 employed physicians. We're approaching 300 today. Wow. So, um, and it, it, and it's going to continue to grow as I see that um, physicians want to look at that employment model, uh, and, and UMC is a great home for, for those types of And UMC has some unique areas like a, a level one trauma center, the, the burn center, and so forth. Can you talk about what, not just what those are, but what that means to Southern Nevada? Sure. Um, we're very proud of UMC being home to a lot of first and only's in our state. Um, we are the only level one trauma center, which is um, why we say we're the highest level of care, because right now I've got about 16 different specialties standing by, whether they're in the hospital or within uh, a phone call away or being in the hospital within 30 minutes. So, which helps out uh, our response, obviously, on October 1. And, um, you know, I, I was there that evening. Um, came in and just kind of walked the scene and helped wherever I could with patients, moving people around and assisting. But uh, Mark, if you would have came in the next morning inside the hospital, you wouldn't think it was a normal day. Um, the team had worked throughout the night. Every patient was where they needed to be, in the operating rooms or outside the operating rooms, placed, comforted. Um, but outside was kind of the chaos. You know, everybody, you had local, national, international media, mm -hmm. people, the overwhelming support that we had from the, the community and um, forever grateful, you know. Uh, that, that night, you know, I certainly saw the worst that could happen in society, but I saw the best to come out of Las Vegas that, that evening and the weeks and months to come. So forever grateful uh, for our community and, and really shows how, how close-knit we are in Las Vegas. But um, yeah, our level one trauma center, um, we have a transplant, the only transplant center in the state of Nevada. We do kidney and pancreas uh, transplants. And, in fact, happy to report our kidney uh, centers, transplant center is number one in the nation. Wow. Um, uh, and there's three criteria for that um, one, uh, kidney centers. Um, time to transplant, survivability, and there's a third category that we're in, in, in that third spot for, but for me, survivability and time to transplant. Mm -hmm. Our average time to uh, wait for a transplant is about 10 months, some, some states it's 10 years. So. Um, Really proud of the transplant team at UMC, and then we're on a journey to um, do livers as well. Hopefully, within the next five five years, we'll be able to have capacity and a specialist to do uh, liver transplants. But um, the only verified burn center in the state, the only accredited children's hospital, and the, and the list goes on and on. Um, we really have become, um, I believe, the heart hospital in Nevada. Um, our, our, our cardiology um, residents uh, partner with UNLV, Nevada Heart and Vascular great vascular services that no one else is doing now. So um, we're probably one of the busiest heart hospitals, not only in the state for sure, but probably in the nation. And, and there's, with all that going on, you also have, similar to uh, UNLV's Kirk Corian School of Medicine, uh, a special uh, vision and task of taking care of those people who are not typically taken care of, right? right? Yeah. You know, I, I Today and um, 
taking care of the vulnerable and these populations. But I'll tell you, Mark, you know, what I love about you and the crew is you'll see everybody from growing up in a shopping cart to a Rolls Royce and back. Mm-hmm. That is what UMC is about. You take care of the entire community, regardless of where you're coming from or what side of town you're from, and um, deliver that great care uh, every single day, every every shift, every hour at UMC. And so we're certainly doing our part um, with taking care of this vulnerable population, um, doing a lot of outreach. That's why I'm very proud of our primary care offices, um, trying to keep people out of the emergency room, out of the inpatient side. In fact, we just opened um, a block away at UMC Medical District Primary Care to be able to allow those patients that um, are coming out of the emergency room that may can't get into a physician in a week or two weeks, you can get into our primary care clinic the next day, get those medications filled, make sure that you have everything you need so we don't have you um, having to come back to the emergency room uh, and that we can get very focused care on, on uh, the patient. So very proud of what we're doing taking care of all of our patients that come through our doors at UMC. It's, uh, you know, Mason, it's a much, much more complicated uh, situation than most people think about with a hospital because, again, not only are you serving the underserved, you've got the shopping cart to (laughs) Rolls-Royce as well, which creates some, you know, Vegas is a very unique uh, area, right, and there's some unique challenges to that. And then you've also got an academic arm as well that we'll talk about shortly, but can you talk a little bit about the the uniqueness of Las Vegas and how that really shapes some of the work that you do? Yeah, you know, it's certainly, um, we're, we're always looking at that, um, our patients that we're serving and, and our outreach, um, we've got a great healthy living, depart- healthy, healthy living department that does everything from daddy boot camp to, you know, yoga classes to, um, you know, working with our senior populations to make sure that what they need, they got the resources they need, that you know, physically we're, we're trying to avoid falls, those type of things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, another clinic that we have um, here in the medical district is our wellness clinic that is very specific to infectious disease and HIV patients. So that was uh, a Ryan White um, partner's grant with HRSA. He's in business for a long time doing that uh, for, for many, many decades. So. Um, those are things that we're filling the gaps in the community, and so we're always trying to, uh, and that was what makes unique UMC unique, is how do we um, work beyond you know, the 26 acres here at 1800 West Charleston and do more outreach? Um, because people do like UMC, they like our brand, they like our services, they like our electronic health records, ease of access to um, um, get into UMC, uh, even if you can't come to, to the urban core downtown. How can we touch those mm-hmm. uh, patients out in the community? So we're constantly looking, and, and my goal and my team knows this, that we're growing our clinics two to three clinics a year. Uh, we just recently opened a clinic all the way up in Alonso, and then we continue to look at where, where there's not care and access for patients, both on the urgent care side and the primary care side, but also always having that online care process. And, and as we go back to the idea of a community hospital, right, there, there are unique roles, right? You're, you're different um, because you're, what you're really talking about is being in the community and either bringing people to UMC or going out to the people as well. I, I, I know you know this, of course, it's your mission, but I'm gonna just read this real quick. To serve our community by providing patient-centered care in a fiscally responsible and learning-focused environment. So 
if you if you don't mind talk about that a little bit because that's a that's a big deal right there's a lot to that yeah and, and you know i get the honor of uh, welcoming all our new hires every two weeks and going into our new hire and orientation and we break down our mission vision and values and uh, as we continue to grow and hire and, and employ um, across all levels especially so you know we break that down to serve our community and there's been nobody serving our community longer than UMC. Uh, so our humble beginnings in 1931, when we had one doctor and one nurse taking care of the workers of the, the Boulder Dam at the time for two years by themselves in a 20-bed um, ward, if you will, right on uh, Charleston Avenue where our surgery center sits today. But um, love our history. Um, you know, patient-centered care, we break that down. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. and, and you alluded to it previously about um, how diverse our population is and that, you know, I tell the team, you know, we all have our checklist, right? You, you go through your day, you gotta get this done. I gotta get certain things done, the nurses and the doctors, but never losing sight on why we're here um, and making sure that, um, and I tell a story, and if you will um, indulge me to the employees and, and it's kind of how I lead with our, uh, with our orientation. Um, long ago, you know, as you remember, there was a space race uh, between Russia and the United States and um, lots of resources and energy put towards that. Um, and President Kennedy challenged all of us as a country. And I, I tell a story, and, and we've had lots of dignitaries at UMC. We've had the president, first lady, and many others. Um, and everything's very scripted. And where, where, patient, or where, where the president goes, certain case, what they're going to visit. And I tell a story about when President Kennedy came out to visit um, Cape Canaveral and, and how the progress was going how we're going to explore beyond uh, Earth. And what, um, and that on that tour, the president, you, know, you get the NASA administrators, the senators, the astronauts, but he veered off that tour and went up to a janitor at the time and totally off script and, and validated a story that, but he asked that janitor, what are you doing? And I tell the team, like, we all could answer that question. Think about what we do in healthcare. Finishing up my checklist, I'm doing a timeout, I'm restocking the shelf, or I'm, whatever that your, your assignment is, but that janitor answered to the president, I'm helping to put a man on the moon, Mr. President. And I let that sit with the employees for a little bit. And, I, and then we talk about that. What, tell me about that moment between that janitor and the most powerful person in the world, what that meant. And you know, the team comes up with all the right answers, but we're a team, um, we're part of the mission, we um, engage, we understand. And that, that's why what I say about UMC, not one person, it's not one department, it's not one service line that makes constant beach and run for the last 90 plus years. It's all of us working together. Um, and so that's really what, uh, our, what we think our mission is. And you know, we are viewed differently than other hospitals in the community as you're alluding to Mark, is um, I always tell people that you will go out, you will have that UMC badge or that lanyard or UMC blue one, and somebody's gonna stop you and they're gonna wanna talk to you about how our burn clinic saved their child's life or how they had a great experience when I took care, or for you folks, somebody walking from one side of the mm -hmm. building to the other and took the time out of a busy day to do that, to make that connection. And again, I, you know, the nice thing is, uh, I'll tell you, I've worked for for-profit companies, I've worked for not-for-profit companies. Um, I would see this as a public institution and I love working um, uh, in this public capacity, but um, I always say to, to the team, we don't have shareholders, we have shareholders in the community, and that's who you answer to. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I'll tell you the the Cape Canaveral story, right? It's 
one of the ways that it's so important to us is because what what we're doing we are doing in the community right the, anybody who's involved in healthcare is a moonshot because yeah. we're not doing very well as a state and so let's talk about that a little bit and then what uh, what UMC's place and partnership is with that. Sure. So you know the statistics better than I do. How are we doing as a state? You know, um, and, and, and Dean Kahn and I work on this a lot together, um, and, and, and it's been a really good partnership on going out and, and trying to, and I never use the joke about the Inca. That, that never has ever come out of my mouth, but it still gives me cringes when I hear mm -hmm. it. Um, but I think that's really turning the corner. Mm -hmm. um, when you look at some of our um, uh, services that we're providing throughout the state, so north, south, east, and west, and um, we're getting better every day, every week, every every year. So, um, but there's some still challenges, you know, that, that hold us back. Um, obviously, recruitment coming um, to Nevada is always a challenge. The Medicaid reimbursement has always been on the table. Um, you know, we've got um, more and more Nevadans, unfortunately, on, uh, on Medicaid, um, and, and I, I've got a lot of thoughts on that, on how we can get you know, get people employed and how we can get um, commercial markets to get the exchanges and affordable health care. But, um, you know, we've got, uh, I think during the height of the pandemic, close to 900,000 Nevadans on Medicaid. So um, when you've got a, an insurance product that uh, only covers a third of our true costs, um, that, that's tough for physicians, tough for providers and your, your local doctor's offices are trying to make it out in the world. So we've got to continue to focus on that reimbursement rate. Um, lots of people know that probably have a way to that. But, but it's, a, sorry to interrupt, but it is an important point because the, our neighboring states right around us don't have the same reimbursement rate. And, and that's really hard, right? If, if our neighbor right next to us in another state is doing the same work, they're going to be reimbursed at a very different rate than us. Yeah, and that's, I think you're exactly right, Mark. And I think, you know, obviously with the medical school at UNLV and we've got great residencies here that we um, partner and train. But, you know, if somebody wants to go out on and, and start their own business, then obviously running a business is, is very tough and challenging. And with margins being squeezed and, and operating costs going up, both labor and supplies, um, but you're exactly right. When you look at the Utah uh, Medicaid rates, they're close to commercial rates. Mm -hmm. um, now, they're one of the higher ones in the state, but California to the west of us has got a pretty good rate, too. So I know um, our previous governor, and since last, Governor Lombardo, all are very acutely aware, and, and we're seeing some of that movement uh, with this administration, too. That's, I think they all understand it. It's just tough balancing our very tight budget. Um, and obviously, um, nobody wants to raise taxes on either either side of the, the party. So, um, but I, I know our governor is listening in this regard and, and making some movements towards that. And I think we're gonna have some good news out of this new administration with Governor Lombardo. I know my brother Sisolak is working very hard. And, you know, had, you know, pandemic hit and, and that was really a big focus and, and, and as, as our economy and our city shut down, that was a, a tough thing for, for all of us. And, and I'll tell you, just on the behalf of um, all the hospitals in the state and uh, being um, the past chair of the Nevada Hospital Association, forever grateful for that time that we were able to take a pause, be able to um, prepare for the pandemic. Um, and so again, I know that was tough on all of us, but it did help us prepare and get ready and take care of the patients and save a lot of lives um, on, on our 
preparation and being able to serve the patient. So thank you for that. But yeah, I think um, access is a big thing. I mm -hmm. believe we're, as you know, um, continue to rank it towards the bottom on across the board on primary care and specialty care. And uh, even, even within the medical district, we're working together uh, with all of our partners in the medical district to bring some of those services here, right here in city center to be able to um, have health care folks down there. And, uh, you know, one of the things that's interesting to me about it is, as you were talking about the, you know, at the governor level, right, we're trying to recruit individuals, healthcare professionals into the state is a statewide initiative. It can't be done at a, at a single level, just at a single level. So training of individuals, um, you know, recruiting them in, not just into the, the hospital, for example, but into the city. And what does the city have to offer and, and so forth? So it's, it's a much bigger uh, issue. You said that you had some ideas about this as far as the Medicaid and employment was concerned. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. You know, I, I think um, as we've seen coming post-pandemic, um, some dynamics change in the landscape in healthcare, not only in Las Vegas, um, kind of throughout the country. And um, you know, one of the things I'm very passionate about and We've seen private equity and capital uh, investments enter into healthcare, and I know um, the dean and I share the same philosophy that it, that's not that that has not served healthcare well. Um, and we see when you've got private investors coming in and and, and buying companies or leveraging uh, healthcare and um, putting extreme pressure on financial performance, then uh, I'm a firm believer in sanctity of the patient-physician relationship, and that. Finances should not impede on that um, conversations and decisions. So, unfortunately, that has entered in the market. And you know, I, I, I what I've been seeing is unfortunately um, capital venture, private equity wins, and patients are losing. So there, we um, we're trying to slow that down. Um, again, uh, it's coming. They've entered in every space, right, in every industry. But um, it, so that's had a bit of an impact as well. Um, I think we've got also some non-competes in, in physician contracts that do work for some of these companies that impede them from working or making decisions. And um, not only uh, you know, is it post-termination, they, they've got them in there for a year later. And so we see um, physicians moving their families to take their kids out of school because they're prohibited to work. So that's something I'm very personal um, uh, taking on, um, especially in the next legislative session. I want to take that out of healthcare workers, whether that is a nurse, doctor, uh, healthcare administrator, or whatever industry you're on, that we, we already have a physician shortage. Um, just because a physician may sign something in small print and says, hey, you can't work for a year later, nobody could do that, right? And, um, and so we want to be able to take that, as long as we give a proper notice, um, and I think a physician should be able to work wherever they would like to work. We don't have those in our contracts. Um, in our employment models, um, and so, uh, and as a school doesn't either, so uh, I know the dean and I will be shoulder to shoulder on that coming up this next legislative session. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to, you know, we're talking about the, the, um, the primary, the flagship hospital, academic medical center in, uh, in Las Vegas, and the Kirk Coyne School of Medicine have to be shoulder to shoulder on these things, right? Because, so if, so from my perspective, and, and you know, we've talked about this a little bit, you, you've got 
you're kind of solving this issue in some regard two different directions one you're you're growing your own right growing your own physicians training your own physicians and so forth and then you're recruiting people in from outside so things like having a, a trauma one or a, a you know a medical area that can really recruit people because they want to work in that kind of a center right uh, but then also how do we grow and train and bring people in this way as well so it's you've got to do it uh, all the way through the pipeline uh, which is so important so I think exactly like you said the partnership becomes really critically important Can you talk a little bit about one of the things that UMC uh, does again in one of the partnerships is with the school medicine because of the residents because of the training aspect and so forth. Can you talk, just explain what that is in general and then how that helps to facilitate what we're talking about and that's growing physicians. Yeah, I think we're really primed in a, in a, in a really good situation. Um, you, you take all the activity that's going on in the medical district and the city has been really good um, from an economic development standpoint. Um, we, uh, you can see the change happening. Um, as I look outside the, uh, the windows here at the School of Medicine, all the activity that's going on uh, in and around mm -hmm. the school and lots of things going on on this campus. And then at UMC as well, um, we've, we're putting in close to $60 million in renovations um, and we've, certainly, we've been doing a lot of improvements inside. But the outside, um, we did a little bit of a, a facelift and um, so we're beautifying and unifying the campus. It's called our Revitalize Project. Um, so every Every inch of the, the campus is being touched, whether it's in the sidewalk, in the parking, in the landscaping, the facade, the, the exterior, new lighting. Uh, we've got healing gardens that, that are coming in. So really reflecting the great care that's happening uh, inside of UMC. And, uh, and if I could just jump in, it's not just a facelift. I mean, it's so important that you do that. So because we've got individuals who are in some ways, in a lot of ways, in the most vulnerable situation, to be to walk into a place where they feel is well taken care of becomes really important for yeah, us. Yeah, we're, we're very excited about the project. It, it really, again, is going to reflect all the great things that are happening inside. And, um, new entrance off of Shadow Lane, um, lots, a lot easier access. Uh, as I mentioned, it, it is a city in itself, and it can be very intimidating um, if you're not knowing where you're going. And so we've, we've really, um, in our patient experience department, done a great job on making sure that we have concierge and guest services at, at every point when, when people walk through. But, but kind of back to how important um, you know, the training, both of medical students, uh, residents, and then hopefully keeping them here mm -hmm. in the city, uh, and then all the things that are going on in the medical district, I think it's, it's time for us to say um, really good success story. We've, we're fielding the continued to recruit and retain, um, but the numbers show that if we have all those things lined up, opportunities people will stay and and I, I've been here for quite some time I, I lived in Las Vegas since 2008 and been through the Great Recession and survived that and, and really studied and learned uh, in our economy and then going through the pandemic and the things lessons learned from there we need to continue to diversify our economy our industry and I think um, uh, we continue to do that and especially in the healthcare uh, space so so you you're sort of leading into uh, something I've been thinking about for a while. You've got a unique perspective. You've got a wider perspective than than certainly most people. What is the future of healthcare in the state? Yeah, I, I think um, 
image and steps in the right direction together uh, as an industry. Uh, we all work well together, you know, that um, regardless of if you're in the north or you're other hospitals in the, in the community, I think we're all trying to fill the gaps and, and try to find the needs um, of our patient population. Um, some of them, those are a little bit sort of projected out and, and really key in sort of well on wh what do we need next? Uh, we need residency in pathology, anesthesia and radiology. Um, and so continue to look at um, what's on the horizon for, for the state is something that we're constantly doing. Um, and then putting resources to that. You know, again, I think the governor's uh, continually, this governor, Governor Navarro, continues to support and understand um, how important those residencies are um, to the community. Because it, but it does take time to, to grow and, 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 and flourish. Uh, it doesn't happen overnight, but um, definitely seeing the commitment uh, and again, we're very encouraged uh, on that. So um, we don't have a crystal ball, but we're, we're pretty good at projecting on where we need to lead and, and, and head to. So it's, uh, again, I'm very, very uh, comfortable with the healthcare that we have here. I'm very, um, very proud of what we've been able to do. And, um, and I get to see some of the great stories that happen every single day at uh, our, our, our hospital and, and UNLV's um, partnership with us. Um, you know, even in our trauma centers, um, we have a 97% survival rate and some of those patients have a 1% chance to survive. That doesn't happen anywhere right. in the country. So I'm very proud of what we're able to do and, and, and proud of what UNC's able to, our capacity and our capabilities. It's, uh, yeah, that, that statistic and, and the great work that's done in the Burns Center and, and so forth, it's, it really is incredible. And, and to your point, I mean, I think that it is all hands on deck as far as this is concerned because ultimately what we're doing is improving healthcare in the state of Nevada, right? And that's, that's a moonshot to go back to our story. Right, um, and it's it's so important to all of us. Okay, so you've talked about your daughters. You've talked about uh, some of the great stories you've seen at UMC. What are some of your moments of joy that you can remember from from your life? You can only use two for okay. your kids, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, uh, it's a tough one there. So uh, moments of joy. You know, um, just just proud of obviously. Daughters are, are number one. When people ask me, um, you know, where'd you get the sun from, or where'd you go on vacation? It's on the side of the tennis court, watching my kids, yeah. and just watching them work hard and um, and grow and develop and mature. So, but you know, I, I I love what I do at UMC. You know, I I have um, been there since 2014. Um, you know, took on a big job. You know, when you look at um, across the board, you know, the reputation financial challenges, uh, strong union, um, just it was, it, it was a huge undertaking and most people would run away from that. Um, I look at it as an opportunity for me to grow personally and grow uh, and say, you know what, I, it's going to be to make me a better leader, better administrator, and I want to I wanna help and contribute and make a difference. And every day when I drive in, um, you know, I get excited. I, I never leave. Um, More importantly, I talk to our employees about that a lot, knowing that their satisfaction um, coming into UMC every single day, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. And we're not perfect. But um, I know we're the best hospital in the entire state of Nevada. We prove that over and over with our results, our scores, our stories, um, and, and just our engagement. So 
I just want to make sure you know um, that our employees are feeling satisfied, engaged, and that they feel like they're contributing every day. And that, and, and that shows in our retention rates. Um, when we post one position at you, we, we not only get hundreds, we get thousands of people that apply for that. So uh, that shows me um, you know, people want to come and work for us and, and be a part of the team for, for a lot of reasons. But just, I mean, with a CSM move over the last seven or eight years to be able to um, change that whole dynamic at UNC. So um, it's, it's my hospital. Uh, I love it. And uh, you know, I don't think it's ever going anywhere else because this is um, where I want to end my career. Yeah, that's fantastic. So uh, last last question yeah. for right now. Uh, you may spur some more, but uh, we've got you've got three things that need to happen okay. in in our state to improve health care. What are those three things from your perspective? Yeah, um, you know, the big thing is, I think I'm going to start with access. Um, you know, and we're working on some initiatives, and, and, and we've got some really good committees at UNC that think tanks that think about what can we do. Um, and, and, and what I like about UNC is we just don't, you know, we're just not taking care of our clinical workers. Um, you know, when we look at the pandemic, we were out everywhere, and we realized that um, we needed to be on the front of this. So that's why we're at Sonoma and Cal Canales and doing tests and you know, vaccinations and, and all these things that you know, we could have just took care of what walks through our door, but that's not the UNC style, that's not the UNC way. Um, but access continues to be a big, big issue, Mark. You know, we've got um, a very robust primary care department, but we still have nurses that come in that have appointments. I mean, we, we call, we wanna follow up and say, hey, Mark, why do you show up? It's not for penalty. Why did, why'd you miss your appointment? And it comes down to, you know, didn't have a ride, um, didn't have, you know, didn't understand this or didn't understand that. So, you know, trying to educate and advocate for our patients. Um, a lot of people don't know, and, and we're partnering with NIST, you know, that NIST has a medical, they'll hook you up. A lot of insurance is, that's covered under insurance. So we want to make sure that people are getting the right care, timely care, so they're not missing their medications, not going without their preventative health. So we want to end up in the emergency room. We've got a great emergency department at UNC, but that's not where we want to treat most of mm -hmm. our patients. We want to do that in a setting that is um, on your schedule, you know, when it's convenient, and we can have those conversations, and you're not dealing with everyone else in our emergency department. So I think um, reimbursements are a big issue. Uh, and, uh, and again, I can tell you from UNC, we're not looking to you know, rake anybody over the coals or you know, try to get more money, but it, healthcare is very expensive. Um, especially when you're dealing in, in, in an episodic care late in life, it, it is, so we want to move that population health much forward, but it's hard to do that when um, it's when you're barely making it. Um, you know, UNC's doing well, um, but we've, we've had to be very diligent in our customs business acumen and managing the business side of things to be able to grow, but when you have low reimbursements, you miss the investments, you miss the opportunities, you miss hiring the best people. You miss um, growing new, new facilities and doing some of that stuff. So reimbursement is a big mm -hmm. challenge. And, and I'll be specific in Medicare is a big, uh, it's no secret that if, if a business, any other industry was only getting a third of their true cost, so this is not charges or, um, or and it makes up 50% up to 70% of some hospitals business, you're not gonna be able to grow. You're just holding on and, and barely making it. So we've seen some of that. We've seen where providers just won't take it. Um, they won't accept that insurance. 
school uh, hospitals that had entrance and exit studies at the schools throughout, the city, especially in the rural areas, early years. So, um, and then I think, again, just um, promoting and telling our story in healthcare, telling those stories, um, because there's so many good stories that happen every single day, and letting people know that um, it's, it's, it's good to go to this hospital, it's, this doctor's a great doctor, and not let somebody else tell that narrative, and I think we're trying to change that. Yeah, and I, a lot of what you're saying feeds back to the idea of increasing our our healthcare population, people who are delivering healthcare, our physicians and so forth, in the state, which then leads to better access and leads to and so forth. Yeah, all of it together. I think kids too are just be able to plug for those that are thinking about a career in healthcare. Um, I tell you, um, we I've been through many economic cycles, ups and downs. Um, although we're not completely immune, we tend to do very well um, during those um, times. And a lot of these degrees that we need um, are two-year degrees, uh, whether it's radiology or um, you know, tech, a tech in the OR, and, and compensation is very good. good, good job security. So if anybody's thinking about that, we need to do that. And I know that we do that together, but even getting earlier on in the middle schools, high schools, I know we've got a lot of magnet programs out there. Again, another plug for community college looking for health sciences degrees to be able to um, find a career. I mean, I've seen, I've literally seen, um, you know, a transfer to work all the way up to a nurse practitioner um, and seen that career growth because we will help you with your tuition reimbursement at, at, the, at the hospital. So we want to help grow those uh, individuals. But, you know, for somebody that's looking for a career and um, put some of their time in, in getting some type of a degree at a community college, being a, a radiology technician or ultrasound technician or a surgery tech, um, it, it, it's endless opportunities for me. It's a, I'll tell you, I, I love what you said, Mason, because, um, by the way, I also love your moments of joy. Those were yeah, fantastic. But, but you know, for our, our uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, our DEI team, they go d all the way down to the uh, junior high school to talk about people and careers in medicine. And I think we need to do that. We need to start there to start moving people forward because that's how we grow, you know, from inside. And, and that's one of the ways that we're going to improve healthcare. There's a lot of other things, like you said, the reimbursement piece and so forth. But we do this together. And, and to a large extent, I think back to your, to your military experiences, everybody has to be on the same page or it doesn't work, right? And so when we can do that together, and, and, and in a big picture, right, reaching all the way to people as they're just starting to think about their careers all the way through, um, then I think, we, you know, those things, those three things that you talked about, which are very important, can really start, that can be our moonshot, right? And we can start moving in that direction. This is fantastic. Lieutenant Colonel uh, Mason Van Halling, CEO Mason Van Halling, I appreciate it so much. I Thank enjoyed you. that. Thank yeah, you. pleasure. Thank you. Um, okay, we're going to stop for a minute. Is there anything that we didn't ask you that you want us to ask you? I don't think we're good. Okay. We're covered. What, what do you guys think? Oh, good. Ben? Favorite restaurants. Yeah. Okay. Cool.
There we go. Uh, where can we find you at 10 a.m. on Saturday? That's my okay. question. Okay, got it. Keep a yeah, I'll keep it, but. Uh, there are all yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. You ready, Nick? Yeah, we're on. Okay. So, Mason, uh, since 2008, you've been in Las Vegas. Let's talk a little bit about your Vegas experience. Some of your favorite restaurants. Well, um, so I, since 2008, lived in the same house that um, I've enjoyed and um, loved my home. But uh, I've obviously, Las Vegas, excellent restaurants, and, and I could name a bunch. But my by far um, is John Cutler's. Oh yeah, you know on Charleston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. Uh, my my neighborhood establishment that you can walk into Cutler's. First of all, the staff is wonderful, and the Corrigan family is amazing. The longtime uh, owners of lots of establishments throughout the, the community, but uh, from the management uh, Jerry Wedge, and uh, but you can walk in and it's like a who's who. It's like doesn't matter who you are, everybody loves cutters, they're in their flip-flops and shorts and their t-shirts, so place never closes, so that's uh, my favorite spot, but you know, obviously we're stuck on the strip, I love Lolo's, you know, it's been my uh, fan engaged and some other spots, but uh, I just little plug for uh, John Cutters and the staff there, I just, it, it's my cheers, if you will, Mark. Oh yeah, yeah. And you walk in and everybody says, Mason, oh, yeah. 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 The, the uh, there's, uh, there are so many good places right here near the medical district yeah. too, right? Um, there's uh, uh, what's my favorite place down there? What is it? No, no, but there are so many different yeah. places. Yeah, uh, there's that. There's uh, Latai. Yeah, downtown is is one of the really good ones. Um, yeah, we're getting more and more out of the medical district. You know, I, I, I appreciate uh, the restaurant industry uh, supporting our healthcare workers. You know, um, very good friends of, of UNC is the Lipton Health oh, yeah. family, and uh, one two two eight Main is mm -hmm. one that uh, I've been frequently lately, and uh, they've been uh, big supporters of our gala that we have our evening oh, yeah. on October thirteenth. So we're around. Um, it's going to be a great. We've got twenty four different. Uh, restaurants and you know, endless drinks and food and it's one of those not your typical banquet chicken dinner it's you're on the move and experiencing las vegas uh in one night so um but yeah they're that sounds great uh esther's downtown yes yes yeah. excellent uh there's a pizza place called yukon pizza i've not tried that you and should try it another one is um todd english's oh yeah cutler, yeah, yeah. And, uh, todd's done a great job with the hotel yeah his investment in, in the arts district and the medical district as well. Well, it's, it's really interesting to me, like Circa and the uh, places that are down here, it's grown up a lot in, in the last few years, which is, is super cool to us as well. Do you know Other Mama? Do you know? Oh, uh, yes, yes, yeah. yes. I've been there. It's been a while, but uh, yes. Yeah, it's, a, it's great. The seafood there is incredible. Okay. There's so many, so many good spots that on every corner. Yeah. Uh, that's why I love it. You get stuff strip and off the strip as well. Uh, 10 o'clock in the morning on Saturday, where are we going to find you? So I, um, I enjoy my uh, getting outside in my backyard. Um, and uh, I've got a nice little um, patio, covered patio, and I've got my TV and my little outdoor furniture. So I'm usually gearing up, especially this time of year, Mark, um, to watch football. Um, I love college football. So yeah, me um, too. 
So that's usually a, a cooling off that I'm usually working up to. I want to survey the grounds, make sure everything's perfect. I have a little OCD about my backyard. And, that's uh, probably helpful in your line of business. Oh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, and I, I do it. I shouldn't do uh, stress about too much, but I, I do like to do a little gardening and, and planting and just get my hands dirty. And I do all my landscaping, so I know I'm very good with uh, irrigation and fertilizing and planting the right bushes at the right time of year. But so I, that, that's my theory. If you really want to, and I don't uh, say that too much, but that's usually where you'll find me. Uh, I've got my big hat to keep the sun off me and uh, working outside getting dirty. This is actually a very nice picture that I have now yeah, of you. Yeah. You know, my dad is uh, 97 and uh, next week he turns 97. He still gardens almost every day. It's, I think it's wonderful to do it. I love it as well. So, uh, yeah, I do need to get a big hat, though. That's yeah. a good idea. <laughs> so um, so you, I know that, you know, we've talked about this before. So I, I have the good fortune to work with a lot of elite level uh, athletes, physicians, you know, corporate folks and so forth. And almost all of them have a consistent morning routine. How about you? You know, I, I do. Um about the weekends because then you know I've, I've got my projects to do and my, me my mental list so um, we um, get up and um, I like to go out and every morning I kind of walk my yard survey the grounds as, as I call it um, and then uh, kind of jump into I, I turn on CNBC I'm a CNBC junkie um, get my news because I like to watch other leaders too and uh -huh. their challenges uh, you know obviously the, the strike that's going on right now you know I deal a lot with unions and so either from you know, behind closed doors and negotiations I find that fascinating um, you know, I'm good friends with Laura Gallagher CEO of Allegiant Airlines so I'm always asking you know, I look up to Lori and like tell me about your challenges and what you're going through with pilots and the hours and all the things that you know what, what's going on in your industry so I try to learn from other um, leaders as well um, but I love business uh, and learning um, their challenges and that are going, especially in our economy right now. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I head to work and um, I'll make my phone calls in the morning. Uh, some of my, my best friends uh, on, on the way into work and try to do that. Uh, I don't turn on the radio. I call my friends and kind of check in. in the morning. That's weird. I've never gotten a call from you in the oh, morning. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 I'll take you guys tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> it's usually my mother. Yeah. Um, we served uh, together in Afghanistan, so I, I checked in on um, him. He's on the East Coast, and then uh, my mentor, he brought me to Las Vegas, Anna Friedhoff, so he and I talked uh, as well, um, and so that usually takes up, uh, I still have a 15-minute commute, uh, which is kind of nice yeah. from Sunland to UNC. It's not that bad, so but that's usually what my calls I get in the morning. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, a lot of times I'll I'll call my dad on the way in too, which is it's amazing how that changes the commute, right? It does. Now, uh, again, I do the English classes, so I, I kind of hardwire that into uh, just my mind. So I got to make sure I get that in. Where is she? Is she in Florida? She's in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Oh, okay, still. Yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, you a podcast guy at all? You know what? This is uh, I think officially my first podcast. So yeah. Taking it easy on me, but um, one of the things that I had heard, uh, I heard it at the hospital. People were talking about podcasts and uh, 
and I started to listen. I said, well, what is everybody listening to? And, and it was you. So uh, I said, well, let me, let me uh, send a message saying I hear you're doing good things. And a lot of UNC staff are listening to you. So you're, you're making a difference in the context of words. So well, I appreciate you saying I, it. I, I didn't let you down today, Mark. You, you did not. I, and, uh, you know, now you have a podcast that you can listen to. I know you don't listen to your own stuff, but uh, it's, uh, this was super fun for me. Um, I just got people asking me, you know, what's the limiting principle? I said that I do what I like. I, uh, I'm tough on myself. I, I, uh, I, I live this, but sometimes I look back and uh, wish I would have advocated for the team a little bit more or said something else. But, uh, but I learned from my mother and some parents and uh, everybody else in my family. What is your mom's name? You need to mention it. Janet. So there we go. Uh, yeah, so uh, it's coming your way. Okay, fantastic. Uh, tell her she can uh, like it as many times as she wants. I will. She <laughs> time when I can. So, and by the way, she's on Facebook. I'm yeah. not on any social media at all, uh, but she uh, keeps me posted on what's going on currently. So, okay. So I, I'm sure she will like it a lot. Well, thank you so much for being here. This is really fun. Great. Thanks, yep. Mark. Thank you. Thank you. Jenny, as always, thank you for the suggestion. I can't believe I forgot the name of Esther's for a minute. <laughs> Yeah. Like, it's high. I gotta 